Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Good morning, and uh, so nice to be with you again here on the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living today. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host and producer of the show, and today our topic is the keys to experiencing absolute consciousness. Um, I am so delighted to be joined today by Martin Woodkey, and he is the author of uh, the book we'll be discussing today, The Brain Sutras, Keys to the Revealed Consciousness. We're going to be discussing how the connection of our mind, brain, and consciousness influence how that connection influences each other, and how that understanding can be brought into the way we live and the benefits that accrue. So Martin Woodkey has been teaching principles of brain, mind, and consciousness for more than 35 years. As a pioneer and leading expert in the field of neurofeedback, he has treated a wide variety of disorders and assisted many on their spiritual path through his unique Woodkey method, combining ancient yogic wisdom and state-of-the-art neuroscientific approaches. Marty is also a longtime disciple of Roya Jean Davis, who was a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda, and who regular listeners may uh, recognize as also being the teacher of Yogacharya O'Brien. You can learn more about Marty Woodkey at the website woodkeyinstitute.com, and that's Woodkey is W-W-U-T-T-K-E, woodkeyinstitute.com. So welcome, Marty, I'm delighted to have you as a guest today on the show. Thank you, Laurel. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate being here with you. <clears throat> so before we dive into our dialogue about the keys to experiencing absolute consciousness, let's begin with a moment of contemplation. So let's take this moment just to bring ourselves fully present. First, paying attention to our bodies in space and just noticing wherever your body is supported by a surface, whether you're walking, driving, sitting, just feeling your body in space. And then bringing your attention to the breath and just noticing as you take a fully conscious breath and feeling the inhale 
and the exhale. And on the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhale, the warm air flowing out. Just being present here and now. And as we rest here, right where we are, here's something to contemplate, taken from Yogacharya O'Brien's Book of Inspirations, Living for the Sake of the Soul. The stream of spiritual transformation often flows underground as we are being remade in the depths of our being and a change of heart is underway. The stream of spiritual transformation often flows underground as we are being remade in the depths of our being and a change of heart is underway. We may sense only darkness on the surface, an aridity that challenges our faith. Consider that at such times we are being shaped by the unseen divine self and enlarged in trust. Even in times of great darkness, grace is at work in a surrendered heart. Once again, Martin Woodkey, welcome to the Yoga Hour. I'm, I'm really pleased that you could join me today on the show. So here we are now at the end of April 2020, and obviously the world is a much different place than it was a few months ago. I feel so fortunate that I have a steady meditation practice that I'm finding so helpful in these really rapidly changing times when there are so many unknowns in the world. So I know you're also a, a, a regular meditator. So how has your practice of meditation and Kriya Yoga helped you at this time? Well, it's been uh, extremely important um, to find that space um, in meditation uh, for a number of reasons, really, which we'll probably get into a little bit today. Um, you know, as the planet experiences this, this collective trauma, uh, in the process of a collective trauma, uh, our, our bodies, our brains and nervous systems can't help but react with um, very strong and very appropriate instinctual reactions, fear of death, survival, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, you know, meditation is really reminding the body that everything's okay. Mm. And these uh, deeper levels, more primitive mechanisms, um, have the opportunity to stop some of the uh, snowballing that can be occurring in the brain and nervous system that right. we, we may not even be conscious of. So it's, a, it's extremely important. Um, and I, I've noticed also that there is a really a, uh, sort of an explosion of meditation courses online and a lot of celebrities, uh, well-known meditation teachers offering free meditation classes, Yogacharya right. as well. And I really think that's hugely important <laughs> for all of us to take advantage of. But it's a way to stay grounded and, and, and a way to 
um, touch into the reality that is behind all of this. And that in itself, it brings, um, you know, a soothing, calming, quieting, peaceful effect that we all really need right now, both individually and collectively. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I was reflecting on that uh, Gita verse, which I've been thinking a lot about, actually, the one that, that talks about even a little bit of this mm-hmm. practice you know, of, of yoga and meditation, even a little bit of this practice removes great fear. And mm-hmm. I have found that myself, you know, to yes. be to be true. So um, so let's turn our attention to your book. The Brain Sutras, Mm -hmm. uh, which brings your years of research and practice into the connection of mind, brain, and consciousness, and kind of condenses them into these 25 um, sutras. Mm -hmm. People who are not familiar with that word, it it comes from um, the same root as as, uh, suture. So they're like threads, these little threads. Uh, that's stitched together. So what made you decide to write this book now and um, in and to use this ancient format? Well, it, as you said, it was the result of uh, 35 years of experience uh, working in the various uh, places I've worked, uh, hospitals, treatment centers, prison systems, and then, um, you know, private practice. I've always uh, applied the principles of mind and consciousness and what I observed over the years is, is how they work um, and uh, what the ultimate aim and goal of those practices happen to be. And that it really didn't matter a lot uh, where I applied them. They were, they were, uh, they were genuine and would always pursue, produce the, the results I anticipated. Um, you know, things may have to be modified again, depending upon the population I was working with. But at a certain point a couple of years ago, I decided that I would really, for my own edification, write these down. And it was also at the prompting of um, my spiritual mentor, Roy Eugene Davis, that I do this. And um, I think his words were, you know, combine science, um, uh, technology, and show how that can uh, be uh, uh, integrated into uh, the spiritual teachings and spiritual philosophies, particularly our philosophy, which happens to be yoga. Mm-hmm. So they really, um, I spent, I took my time writing them uh, over the course of a year. I just did one sutra per weekend, and some of them are very short. Uh, some are a little bit more detailed, but it. At the end, I felt like I had encapsulated what had occurred over the 35 years of of my uh, practice. Obviously, there's more to go, but at least it gave a general outline of everything that I found to be useful and applicable and Mm -hmm. result-producing. And at first, uh, it was just a blog, but then eventually my wife... um, thought that, and a few other people thought that we should publish it, so we did. There's a few typos in the book, just to let your listeners know, that are, that are being corrected. They're quite obvious, <laughs> but um, that'll, that'll happen, as with uh, anything oh, yeah. that gets published, things slip by you, so anyway. Um, so really, that's where, where it came from. Uh, it was it was the, the, the accumulation of a, a lot of uh, years of... of application, observation, application, observation, what really worked, what impacted people, and so on. Yes. 
And I, I know that um, you obviously have been talking about you have this long history of looking at neuroscience, but what originally led you to that, to look at the relationship between our spiritual consciousness and the brain and all of this work in neuroscience? Well, uh, that's a long story, but I'll try to make it quick. When I, when I first started working with um, uh, clients, the first place was a, a addiction treatment center. And what I really, my, my initial aim through using uh, technology, biofeedback, brainwave biofeedback, my initial aim was to teach people how to meditate more quickly. Mm. Um, that particular population, uh, you know, um, back then, this is in the early 80s, we knew that that could help them in their recovery process. So um, I began to realize as I was working in traditional medicine that I needed to bring some credibility into the uh, meditation model, um, more scientific validity and credibility. Again, this was the early 80s. It was nowhere as near where it is now. Right. So I, I looked, um, and at that time, the Transcendental Meditation people had had some studies published. Herbert Benson also was doing some good work. And, you know, their approach was from a neuroscientific approach, um, that you're changing the brain and nervous system, and ultimately that uh, is, is, a, is, the, is at least the preliminary phase of meditation, which will ultimately lead to higher states of consciousness. So I looked and I saw that brainwave biofeedback was uh, something that they used. And I actually went to study at the Himalayan Institute in Honesdale, Pennsylvania, oh. and found that this was a viable tool um, that we could help uh, sort of um, guide the individual's brain to the appropriate states so that meditation wasn't a long, drawn-out process. We, we could indeed speed it up a bit. The other thing that set me off, though, uh, was um, the uh, the quote that I heard several times Yogananda made, and then I finally saw it again, uh, or, or heard it again in the movie, the documentary movie Awake: The Life of Yogananda, and that was a very simple um, statement that he made. I, I, I believe it's quoted in 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 the book that the brain and the nervous system, or the brain and the spinal cord, are the altar of God. Mm-hmm. And when you hear that you have to really contemplate that because that's quite literal. Mm. Um, and that really drove me uh, to, to a deeper uh, understanding of, of what we're really working with when we talk about the human nervous system and brain. Mm. So wow. all those things came together and, and really drove me. So as you've been talking, uh, was I've got the the table of contents of your book open here, and uh, w- you know one of the sutras, one of the first sutras is consciousness is modified by the condition of the brain, mm. yeah. and I think anyone who has a meditation practice would intuitively agree with that. You know, only in um, the sense of you know doing something, um, being in a really really crowded, uh, you know situation like a mall, which we don't do anymore, but (laughs) when we did that, um, and then if you did come home and, you know, try to, uh, sit at that time, you know, you're all jangly, 
you know, mm. your nerves are all, you know, you're all jangly. That's, a, um, you know, from being exposed in that way. So um, anyway, I certainly have, have uh, had that experience of trying to meditate in different um, states of mind and finding some difficulty, you know, depending on the other environments and, and exposures, you know, that, that, uh, my brain had been dealing with. So, um, that, that's great. Mm -hmm. So in your book, you make a distinction between spiritual healing and physical healing. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how do you see the difference between these two? And, um, you know, where is it that they, that they come together? Um, it's, I'm really talking about two levels there. Uh, physical healing is, of course, extremely important to keep the body healthy. Um, and we go to various practitioners and see our uh, various clinicians when we have physical problems, aches and complaints and so on. And they, of course, must be addressed. But spiritual healing is a, is a, is a different perspective. Spiritual healing uh, for the uh, clinician or practitioner who understands the principles of, of spiritual healing, the work really isn't on the client. The work is in the consciousness of the practitioner or the clinician. Um, and that is, is quite simply to <clears throat> not buy into the duality that there is a, um, a, separate individual sitting here in front of me or contacting me or whatever and to look through that and to realize that uh, that divine presence is is here now stop dealing with the condi conditions stop looking for um, uh, an effect but rather correct the I think in, in in spiritual healing they used to call it error collect correct the error in the consciousness of the practitioner that there is somebody who sitting here who is a somebody separate from the one divine presence. Mm. And obviously that takes um, uh, an enlightened consciousness. But I think I point out in my book when whenever uh, we have the opportunity to be around a spiritual master or somebody who has uh, experience self-realization or God realization. We feel that. We feel what they, um, what their consciousness is. They don't, you know, they reach right down to the depths of our souls and draw that out. Mm -hmm. And that's what I call spiritual healing. Mm -hmm. um, they do intermingle though, because when you, when you have that awareness, um, there's often physical healing that goes along with it. But I have to point out, not always, right. not always. Which um, was actually what I was going to mention, because as a physician, you know, of course, I, I was a general internist when I was in practice. I'm retired now. But um, I would definitely say that I had deep healing interactions with patients, even when there was nothing I could do to cure them. And mm -hmm. they went on to die. Um, that there, you know, the healing is still possible, you know, and so it's maybe not on the level, you know, of enlightened master, I'm not claiming that, you know, but there is a way of holding that, um, you know, for the person that is beyond the current situation beyond the, you know, whatever 
illness that they were dealing with. Um, and I think maybe there's a way of uh, people sort of sensing that, because I, I think perhaps that's even what people mean when they talk about bedside manner. You know, it's a, yeah. heal it's a healing presence, you know? Yes. I, yeah. I agree 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So one of the things I was interested in in the book, uh, you, which was actually a little depressing to me, <laughs> you mentioned uh -oh. that recent neuroscience research has shown <laughs> that for subjects studied, the average attention span is three seconds. Okay, wow. Well, let, me, let me try to up, <laughs> uplift you a little bit here. So there's another study now that shows it's eight seconds. Oh, oh, that's, <laughs> it's say, doubled. Wow. Well, yeah, well, then they say, but it's still not up to where a goldfish is. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I was meaning. It's a little depressing. So well, it's interesting, though, because uh, in the year 2000, uh, uh, 2000 this was also studied, and the attention span was greater. It was between 10 and 12 seconds, so it's down to eight now, and wow. that's a bit concerning. Obviously, there's lots of speculation why that is, uh, technology and so on, but um, it's right now it's averaging about eight seconds, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> so you also point out, which kind of is, you know, is is perhaps obvious to people who have been on a spiritual path or started on a spiritual path, is um, that before we can wake up spiritually, we must first of all realize that most of the time we're asleep. <laughs> uh, so would you say more about this? Since I, I would think most people um, really might not consider themselves asleep as they go yeah. around about their daily lives. So, yeah. And when you ask them, they wake up for a moment and they are in fact not asleep at that moment, but then often go back to sleep. So, um, you know, it's a big topic because it's it's talking about um, uh, being fully conscious, fully aware, fully present in the moment. Um, most of us, most of the time, our um, our default mode network, part of the brain, uh, is is running the show. And uh, I know you may be asking me questions about that later on, but I'll give a little. Well, let's go segment. ahead and dive into it now. Sure, it's great. Sure. You know. So the you know the brain is a, is essentially a, um, a lazy organ. It's it wants to uh, reserve energy, conserve resources, and so on. So we don't have to think about every single thing that we do. We don't have to think about tying our shoelaces, starting our car, brushing our teeth, taking a shower, um, and a lot of things. You can ex expound on that. And that's what we mean by being asleep. We are not really conscious to our own presence, our own awareness. Our identity tends to be, and our awareness tends to be identified and tied up with everything around us or outside of us. Mm -hmm. um, and that is the job of the default mode network, so we don't have to think, so we don't have to use a lot of energy. Everybody's experienced this. Uh, you just have to pay attention because sometimes it, it goes past you. I, I often use the example of um, driving down a highway and uh, you're at exit 12 and then all of a sudden you're at exit 72 and you're like, well, what happened to those 60 exits? Where was exactly. I? Yeah. Oh, you know, for me, uh, I used to have a commute. I would drive to work and it was so, so often where I would, you know, be more or less awake. I'd be getting in the car, I'd be back out of the driveway. And then I would be walking into my office, you know, 20 miles away. I'd be, I'd be walking in the door. 
<laughs> I would have no recollection of that whole drive, you know, that whole like half an hour or whatever, uh, however long it took me, all of the navigating the traffic and all that. Maybe there was some bumper to bumper in there a little bit, but I would not remember any of it, you know, until I until I literally like woke up in my office. So, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. <laughs> yeah, right. So in the book, you talk about wake up calls. Obviously, you know, if you're asleep, well, so what is it that, you know, helps us to wake up? And I think we wake up in a lot of ways, but you talk about, you know, kind of the bigger, the bigger ones, you know, that may hit us. So uh, things that shake us up and, and really impel us to look beyond the superficial and transitory and, you know, really get to some of the deeper questions that we're going to, you know, talk about. So um, some of these wake up calls could be personal like an accident, an illness, loss of a loved one, loss of a relationship. But sometimes there there are these serious collective wake-up calls. And I would point to the one we're in right now, this current pandemic that is affecting everyone around the world in one way or another. So it's natural, as you were saying earlier, to respond to these times of, you know, increased unknowns with perhaps fear or anxiety um, because no one really knows what's gonna mm-hmm. what's coming next. So, how do you recommend that people avoid getting caught in the negative emotions and and realize, kind of ch- shift their perspective and perhaps look at this as a call to awaken? Oh, and I um, should, as I ask you that huge question, which we can come back to, I should let you know you got about a minute to okay. answer. <laughs> just, we'll just dip a toe in and we'll come okay. back. I think the most important thing is meditation. Yeah. Um, to to keep the the body again as we as uh, we started out talking about today keep the body um, from going spiraling out of control to keep the primitive areas of the brain from going into fight or flight responses and the even more dangerous response the freeze response which is really hard not to go into because there is a sense as you said what do we do there is a sense of helplessness. So it's important to pay attention uh, and and identify when those uh, anxieties, which are at the root of a lot of trouble in the brain and nervous system, and meditation is the key to that. Meditation is self-directed neuroplasticity. So we can change how some of these things are bubbling underneath the surface and keep them from from really affecting us in a, in a strong way. Excellent a great place for us to come back to. So with that, we've come to the break. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with our guest today, Martin Woodkey, a disciple of Roy Eugene Davis and author of the book we're discussing today, The Brain Sutras, Keys to the Revealed Consciousness. You can learn more about him at his website, woodkeyinstitute.com. And again, Woodkey is W-U-T-T-K-E, Woodkey Institute. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Please stick, stay with us. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back from the break. This is Dr. Laurel Trujillo. 
with my guest, Martin Woodkey. So, um, Marty, in the last segment, we were, I cut you off (laughs) right as we were getting into some interesting material. So wake up calls. And one of the things that wake up calls do is they jolt us a little bit and really perhaps help us to focus on the deeper questions uh, of life. So in the book, you go through a couple of those. Do you want to mention those for our listeners? Sure. Um, these, these are the universal questions that uh, will, will lead to their answers is the remarkable thing about them. I think the, the, the first one that people start uh, asking and questioning is, who am I? Right. You know, who, who is this being here? What am I? And then, you know, on top of that comes, what is my purpose for being here? Um, and then looking at sort of a broader existential uh, perspective, what is life? Mm. What is this? Um, and then finally, I think most people are led to what is God, the supreme being or ultimate reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those very important questions, particularly in in this situation that we're in right now, obviously, there are other questions we can ask, how can I help? Um, what is what what is my role in this, et cetera, right. et cetera. But um, really looking at oneself now um, because of this imposed, uh, you know, um, internalization <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. is it's a true. great opportunity because that's yeah. what wake up calls are for, to make us wake up and look at what is going on around us. Right. Yeah. At a recent retreat, Yogacharya O'Brien had a couple of questions that I've been reflecting on. So um, those were, what do I want to most learn from this time? And of course, you know, what is most important to me? What is most important to me, you know, during this time? So these are all, you know, really, really great uh, questions. And then I wanted to come back to the, the subtitle of your book. It's called The Brain Sutras, Keys to the Revealed Consciousness. So we, we actually picked that up in the title. Um, so um, let's talk about that for a minute. So what are the keys? <laughs> to a revealed consciousness. I'll give you like, uh, you know, uh, two minutes to answer this. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no problem. Um, well, you know, the, the first key is, is uh, you know, we can, we can say this in a, in a, in a funny way. Um, the door is wide open. We don't need the key. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> and, and that's I did another interview about the book a couple of weeks ago, and I think the interviewer asked me, you know, what is the point of this book? I said, well, the point of this book is that there's really nothing for us to search for, that what we are searching for is what's doing the searching. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the real key is just understanding that we are divinity. Um, And the point of this book is that the brain, uh, because of various conditionings, um, you know, as you as you mentioned, environmental, biological, genetic, uh, nutritional, um, et cetera, et cetera, the brain has become conditioned and programmed to uh, interpret and perceive the world in a certain way. But the key is what exactly is doing that perception and that interpreting. And that's pure consciousness. That's absolute consciousness. And once we begin to understand that, 
what we're searching for is is already there, and in fact, it's what is doing the searching. Then that that it takes some of the pressure off. Like we have to accomplish something, we have to do something, we have to make something happen. No, we just have to be, and then understand what these brains are doing. They are these massive computers that that literally create our environment, create our perception. We only see a teeny tiny fraction of of even visually of what's happening around us we right. only see a small spectrum there's a much larger greater um richer uh universe around us and that universe happens to be uh god in expression mm. and it, and that expression is fully present it's not like it's way way out there way up there way in there anywhere it is right here Mm -hmm. So that's that's the primary key. The rest of the book is really about the, explaining that more and then right. uh, getting into more detail about the practices, uh, what we can do to facilitate sort of cleaning up, clearing up some of these conditionings that happen to be obscuring our inner vision. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's what yoga is, uh, yogic philosophy. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> So you have a suggested exercise, which I which I liked, and I thought it would be helpful for you to go over that with the listeners from page thirty one. Would you Would you just describe that exercise, which is for building the ability to be present? Oh, okay. So um, to be present, at least when when we're initially starting that practice, we usually have to uh, have reminders alarms something around us to say okay wake up now instead of you know depending on shocks in our environment so what i recommend in this particular exercise is is you know you can program a, a smartphone now to go off or give you a nice gentle alarm every hour every two hours and then use that alarm that sound as a reminder to be present in the moment to take a step back from all the thoughts, from everything that's going on in the environment, and just to simply be aware of your own awareness. Um, and I, I, I often ask people to try this for about a day. Most people say, oh, I did it for two hours, and then I gave up because it was so annoying. <laughs> 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 which, which, which those obviously aren't exactly, uh, you know, ambitious types who I've tried that with. But, but most people are willing to try it. And it, it becomes quite interesting because if you do it and do it, uh, you know, continuously, there usually comes a moment when all of a sudden you say, oh, my goodness, I'm here. Here I am right here. And it, it's, it's like, uh, uh, you know, somebody woke you up out of a dream uh, and can be quite profound. Uh, many poets and and uh, and visionaries have uh, talked about such moments, and it's in those moments that memory is really created. Those moments in your life or our lives that we really vividly, vividly remember were moments when we were present. Mm -hmm. When we weren't in the past and we were in the future, we were where we were, mm -hmm. and and that brings a, a very powerful awareness, and at the same time, a, a huge amount of connectivity in the brain. And that's why they become permanent memory. Mm -hmm. But those and moments can, start to link together over time. I was going to say, and you can usually, if um, you think back on, you know, a lot of people 
um, in the past, I've read this term of peak experiences, you yes. know, so that's how people describe these. And, and when you think back on your own um, history of peak experiences, you can often remember so much detail about, you know, the weather, you know, where exactly where you were, you know, were you standing, were you seated? Um, was it sunny? You know, was it cloudy? Was there a wind? I mean, it, it, it's, uh, I know exactly what you mean. And I think a lot of people will be able to recognize that. And, and and again, the point of this exercise is rather than those moments being random, we can learn to actually create them or prepare for them. Right. I wanted to touch back on that, which was something that you were talking about. It's uh, this idea of the neuroplasticity of the brain uh, that, you know, literally the brain remodels itself all the time which is quite different from what I was taught when I went through medical school in the mid eighties, you know, it was really thought that the neurons were that you had were the neurons that you had and et cetera. And now yeah. we know the hopeful news that that's really not true and that we can really uh, literally change our brain. And in particular, this ability to focus. And you talked about the eight second <clears throat> focus that most people have. That is something that, that you really, there are muscles there are, you know, um, I don't know if you want to call them mental or just whole body muscles that you bring, you know, to it and you increase your ability to focus by focusing, by practicing focusing, which is often what people are trying to do in meditation. Perhaps they're meditating on their breath and they continue to bring their attention back to the breath, back to the breath, you know, and of course, you know, you realize every eight seconds, it's like, oh, there I go, <laughs> there I go, uh, you know, I, um, Yogacharya, it's been called monkey mind, but I prefer Yogacharya's term of, of puppy mind, you know, it's like, it, it's like you threw a little toy for your puppy and it went over there, and you have to bring it back <laughs> gently, so so you you also uh, describe that maintaining focused awareness is easier at certain times of day when we have more energy. And at, you mentioned that when we talk about the default um, uh, network, that one of the reasons we have that is to save energy, you know, in the in the brain. Um, so you also go through some ways to cultivate the energy that is required to help us experience mm -hmm. these, you know, present awakened moments. So would you describe a couple of those ways uh, for our listeners? Sure. I, I think the first thing that's necessary is to stop wasting energy. And, you know, there can be kind of like a boat that is leaking. There can be many uh, holes that need to be plugged up. So we have to identify them. Um, first and foremost is, is negative emotions. Um, and this isn't about suppressing or repressing emotions because that's probably the worst thing you can do. Then we just turn ourselves into pressure cookers, right. but we can learn how to recognize, um, harmful negative emotions and hopefully cut them off at the root or find the root before they take too much of our energy. They can truly, uh, exhaust us and waste valuable energy that we need. Um, and then there's there is when we are just simply wasteful with our energy through uh, frivolous um, uh, conversation and media and and just really not um, not conserving um, energy that can be refined for higher states of consciousness. This is why people go into monasteries and cloisters uh, to take that energy that normally would be involved in the world and begin to refine it. The problem is that refinement process that we, there has to be some kind of a tool to, 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 to consciously do that. 
But that that brings us to the 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 other recommendation I believe is in the book, and that has to do with impressions, uh, impressions uh, from the world around us, um, and so on. And impressions are like food, especially positive impressions. What people can relate to most of the time is nature. A sunset mm-hmm. or a beautiful sunrise is an impression. Um, the beauty of flowers, the beauty of nature, uh, the beauty, you know, the beauty of the sky. Uh, uh, a great saint in India, Ramakrishna, his first God conscious experience when he was, I think, six years old was in a paddy field and he saw a beautiful black cloud and then a white swan fly in front of it and he went unconscious because of the incredible beauty that he uh, mm. perceived in that. So we can we can consciously take in positive impressions. Um, and of course, great art, works of art, uh, poetry, um, uh, uh, great writings of the masters and so on, mm. all are impressions that, uh, you know, from a certain perspective, feed our soul. Well, what does that do? Well, that gives us energy. That gives us a certain Maybe it's intangible, but it does begin to build. That's why we feel so healed when we come back from nature. That's why we feel uh, energized when we go on a retreat. We are we are we are feeding ourselves with these positive impressions, and obviously at the same time, we have to be very careful about every impression that we allow to go into our minds and brains. Right. And, yeah, I was going to mention. So um, um, there are for for students of yoga, if you're familiar. There are these yamas and niyamas, uh, which are these ethical principles of you know how to live your life in a way that brings your meditation and yoga practice off the mat or off the cushion and into the world. And one of them, one of the uh, yamas, is uh, right use of vital force, um, which is just what you said. I mean, really being aware of how are you know we only have this one life, and we have this much energy, and you we all need to be aware of well what are we choosing to spend that on? And mm-hmm. obviously, you know, there's a, a a wide range of things we can choose, but a lot of it is is just developing that awareness, that present moment awareness. That uh, sometimes just noticing, well, how do you feel after you watch that TV show, or how do you feel after you, you know, are in that environment, uh, and is that a feeling that you want to, you know, you kind of want to build, or is that one that you want to reduce the frequency of of whatever it is in your life. So um, I also wanted to ask you one of the other exercises you go through is uh, the inner smile. Mm. So can you uh, describe that for our listeners? Sure. Um, the inner smile is, is actually from uh, Qigong, uh, medical Qigong. Uh, I, there's many, many versions of it. Um, I learned a particular version 20 years ago that um, I started to combine with my meditation practice and I even went to China and studied with some uh, Taoist monks there and learned their particular versions. So the inner smile is is very simple. Um, and I, I want to uh, um, also mention here, too, the, the great wisdom of Roy Eugene Davis, his, his very last guidelines to inspired living, which was a call and recording that he used to do every week. But his his last one. Uh, is quite remarkable, and it's simply be happy. It's a choice. So the inner smile really is uh, an expansion of that notion 
that um, there is, you can, in your mind or your imagination, create a, what we call the inner smile. And it doesn't have anything to do with anything outside of you. It's just a choice. And then for the purposes of really balancing the energies in the body, the pranas and, and medical qigong, the qi, you can direct that, that smile through intention to the various organ systems of the body. And that's what the inner smile is. So it's, it's just very simply this, uh, 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 it's a meditative technique, but you are, you know, focusing it first uh, sort of sequentially through the body, maybe starting with the brain, smile to the brain, no judgment, no analysis, say thank you. Sounds silly at first, but after a while you begin to see how it affects you. Uh, then to the heart, the lungs, um, kidneys, uh, uh, spleen, pancreas, and stomach are considered one organ system, and then finally to the liver. And then, of course, you can expand it on to the rest of the body and out into the universe. But it's just simply this smiling energy. Um, there is a guided version of it uh, in my voice on the uh, the website that I just gave you, IPI Global. Um, yeah, and let's take just a second, because apparently sure. the website that I've been talking about, the Woodkey Institute one, uh, Marty was telling me over the break, is going to be changing, uh, and there's going to be a new one, uh, which is from the Infinite Potential Institute, which is going to be the new name, Infinite Potential Institute, so it's ipi.global. Yeah. So um, I will try and remember to use that as we get to the end of the program, and we repeat it again, so ipi.global, and that's where they can look for the... For the um, guided meditation in your voice for the for the uh, inner smile great. yeah and it's great it's a great it's simple to learn so after you've maybe listened to it a few times at night it's wonderful to use if you wake up and can't fall back to sleep but again it's a way to tell your body look everything's okay and you know our our every cell of our body responds to our intentions and the, you know this is an ancient technique and um, I'm sure the body is responding as we go, as we sort of send this smiling energy uh, into the body. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really lovely. Um, I mentioned earlier the yamas and the niyamas, and being happy, recognizing that you do have a choice, and it's one of the niyamas, contentment. Mm -hmm. So really letting go of you know concerns about uh, the future and whatever happened in the past and really trying to um, just cultivate that that attitude of the inner smile but maybe mm. taking it outside <laughs> um, mm. just you know being content being uh, gratitude is a great mm. is a really great way of accessing that just to be grateful for the things that you do have even in this time when so many people are are being challenged by, obviously huge dislocations in their lives, perhaps losing a job, perhaps losing a, you know, a, a beloved family member or whatever, but mm. really being able to be present. And that's one of the benefits of the practice that you did earlier, Marty, which is when we're not present, we miss so much. And when mm. you're present, for example, as you mentioned in nature, on your walk and really seeing it's like, wow, my neighbor's, you know, rose bush is really amazing. And I can, I can smell it from here. I'm 10 feet away and I can smell it. I'm just noticing those things that if your mind is elsewhere in the default mode network, you're just going to miss them. It's yes, just exactly. not going to be there. So 
And it, it is interesting. Some of this is is verifiable uh, with research. Um, Tibetan meditators, for instance, advanced, uh, have a, a brainwave that is indicative of, of really being present in the moment, sort of being super awake and, um, and really uh, perceiving things as they are, not as a memory or as an anticipation in the future. So the practice will cause brain changes that that uh, facilitate that. Mm. And you mentioned the inner smile. <clears throat> I've, I've always appreciated the uh, exercise that that uh, Sundari Jensen will often tell people uh, when we're on retreat, which I've done many retreats through um, Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. But basically, she'll just say, turn up the, the right corner of your mouth, <laughs> turn up the left corner of your mouth. She doesn't even say smile, you know, yeah, but just yeah. doing that, you know, turning up the corners of your mouth. There's a whole... There's physiological associations that have that we built over many years of smiling making us feel good. So literally, just turning up the corners of your mouth can help you help bring you more into the present and uh, help you to cultivate contentment, even at times when it feels, as you said, kind of phony. Like the you know the inner smile when you first start doing it may seem kind of silly, but um, it actually has it actually has a a real physiology even that goes mm -hmm. with it. So, um, so try it, see what you think. Yeah. So we've, we've talked about, about um, uh, meditation and the central nature of meditation to, um, to coping and to accessing these, these uh, states of, of higher consciousness. Um, I was reminded of Lahiri Mahasaya's advice, apparently, was when people would come to him with problems, any problems, no matter what the problem was, his answer was pretty much always the same, which was meditate more, <laughs> which, I thought, which I thought was, that was uh, really, you know, really excellent. Um, so we have about um, two or three minutes left in the show, Marty, and mm -hmm. I wanted to um, give you an opportunity to share any words of encouragement or inspiration sure. uh, with our listeners. Um, I think appropriate to this particular time now, um, there, there's a lot of people who, you know, are saying, oh, we can be so creative now. I can write that book. I can clean out the closet. I can do this. I can do that. And then there's people sitting there absolutely frozen in their boots, shaking and wondering why they're so messed up that they can't budge or move. Well, either either is fine. These are all normal, natural reactions to the situation. So if there's anybody out there who's feeling guilty or any other negative emotion because they are frozen, it's fine. That is, as I mentioned earlier, the fight, flight or freeze response. But I would, you know, I would just echo the words of, of Lahiri Mahasaya. The meditation will bring us through uh, all these things because of, of the multiple beneficial effects of meditation. One, telling the body that it's safe, it's okay. Uh, and, and for that, uh, breathing is one of the most important um, uh, things to focus on as we meditate. But it also will boost the immune system. And we're all going to need very strong immune systems now for a while. And that's for sure. Mm -hmm. So I think yeah. that, that, that not feeling guilty when we hit one of these uh, nervous system uh, hangups, but at the same time, really trying to be uh, diligent about our meditation practice 
um, ultimately that will bring us us all through this process. Yes, just like Lahiri said, meditate like more. <laughs> so with that, you've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show. And we've been discussing the keys to experiencing absolute consciousness with our guest, Martin Woodkey, author of the book we've been discussing today, The Brain Sutras, Keys to the Revealed Consciousness. And once again, his website, where you can find out more, is uh from the Infinite Potential Institute. So it's ipi.global. Thank you so much, Marty, for joining me. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you, Laurel. I enjoyed it too. Thank you. So join us next week when I will be here with Yogacharya O'Brien, the founder and host of the Yoga Hour. We'll be discussing the seven soul qualities that we can access in these troubled times to build our inner peace, fearlessness, and resilience. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and perhaps consider sharing it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder, director, and host, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers Ann Hayes and Mickey Coronado, CSE's global media outreach manager Holly Gray, and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unityonlineradio.org. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA Unity ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 